sometimes we don't read this next one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And we need to understand that. God never sent Jesus to condemn anyone. Not the world, not a person. But that the world, and that's, the world here is the, word, the Greek word cosmos. That the world, through him, might be saved. I mean, what if that really happens? That's God's heart. That's God's will. God's pretty powerful. He says his intention is to save the entire world. Most Christians don't even dream that big. We're just thankful with a remnant, they say. With just a few followers. Well, if that's the way it all ends, I don't know how you judge it any other way than Satan won. I mean, if you go by the score, God's got 10, Satan's got 90. Boy, y'all quiet. But what if God really does save the world? I want to talk to you about salvation today and, and, and what that looks like. Thank you for being here. Thank you, like Ron said, for braving the, the uh, not cold. It ain't cold unless you're north of New Jersey, right? But the chilly weather. Amen? You can be seated. There's all kind of words in the Bible that, that refer to what we would call, in the scripture, call salvation or saved. Uh, the word translated saved most of the time is the Greek word sozo, and that's a triune word that involves uh, the, not only the forgiveness, but also of sin, but also the deliverance from the effects of sin, and also the restoration of a body that won't die. Amen? So in that sense, and the Bible teaches this, and we'll talk about it, and just kind of listen, but listen carefully. And I've always said this, uh, I'm understanding more and more as we go along, but I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And that's how Paul, in his mind, writes about it. In Romans 5, he talks a lot about a future uh, of salvation, and of course he's talking about the the ultimate salvation is when we put off this immortality and we put on an incorruptible uh, body that cannot get cancer, that cannot die, that does not age. Amen? And, and so there's all kind of words that the Bible uses. It uses words that, that connect us with salvation. It uses words like redeemed. Uh, it even used the word, uses the word ransom. Uh, it uses the word uh, uh, rescued. God, how many knows Jesus rescued us uh, from the disease of sin? Uh, it uses the word often reconciled or reconciliation. And that means to set things uh, right, to, to make things right. And then only one time in the entirety of the Bible does we, do we see uh, someone, and that was Jesus, told Nicodemus that he must be born again. And so, you know, sometimes now with, with, with my 
growing understanding of just how great and big and good God is, <clears throat> I sometimes, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> I cringe when people say, well, when did you get saved? When did you get saved? And what they mean is, when, I, when did I pray the sinner's prayer, right? In, in American church culture, that's what they're asking. Uh, first off, there is not a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Let's just go ahead and establish that, right? I mean, those, there's not a sinner's prayer in the Bible. So when the preacher called you down front and said, repeat after me, that's just him. And there's nothing diabolical about it. There's nothing evil about it. And, but you're not saved because you say a prayer. What if you say it wrong? Are you not saved? Uh, you're not saved uh, because you do something. We're saved because Jesus did something. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Now, when you read through the Scriptures, it's hard to try to categorize and get salvation in order, but men love to get things in order. You know, and, and, and so, I, you know, just a few days ago when this was on my heart all this week, I just typed in salvation on Google, and man, you'll find, you know, seven steps to salvation or seven steps of salvation and, and five ways to be saved. Or I mean, you'll find all these numerical, uh, you know, orderly things where men try to explain how that, you know, what you got to do. Uh, we saw, you probably saw on Facebook, I, that's where I saw it, where people began to post about, uh, 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 was it Marie Presley, what's her name? Lisa Marie, couldn't, couldn't think of it. Lisa Marie, Elvis Presley's daughter, uh, passed away. And I, and I saw many people posting about that and, you know, were expressing uh, sadness just to see that at such a young age. And then I saw where uh, a minister posted, uh, which after he did that, I went ahead and just blocked him just to stop the disease. Uh, pardon me for being so blunt, but I just don't like reading garbage uh, on my news feed. It's mine. So I just went and just said, nah, I, you know, I'm done with that. But he, you know, said that, uh, you know, he went ahead and pronounced uh, that she was in, you know, she was eternally lost. And that she was in hell. And, uh, you know, he was saddened, he said, by it, but that's where he said she was. I wanted to come under that feed, but it, we, there's no point in starting that war because you're not going to win it. And I'm not going to change his mind. He's not changing mine either. But, yeah, I thought how arrogant that is to set yourself up as God and to decide who made it and who didn't make it and what are the conditions of men's making it. And that you judge yourself as being one of the in, and you judge her as being one of the out. And when, when, you, when, you, when you see such arrogance, and you, that's what religion is. Religion says, I got it, I got it figured out, uh, I'm in, you're out. And to get in like me, you got to do what I tell you. And if you don't do what I tell you exactly how I tell you, or you don't pray the prayer exactly like I tell you to pray it, or if you're not baptized exactly like I tell you got to be baptized, then you're out and I'm in, it's in, you know, tough cookies for you. And that's just the epitome of religious arrogance. And, uh, and so I just said, you know, this is the stuff here in social media world now that everybody can have a voice and everybody can write something and say something now, where it used to didn't be that way. Uh, this is what is uh, uh, infecting and affecting so many people's wrong view of God and how God sees salvation. 
You know, Jesus did tell Nicodemus, you got to be born again. But th th think about it. The very the, the phrase that you got to be born again means you was already in the womb. I'll just let y'all study on that a little bit. You can't be born unless you're already in there. Thank you. Do you think that you lived your life? I used to think that way because I was raised under that. I lived my life. Jesus didn't know nothing about me until I prayed the prayer, until I signed up, until we made the transaction. And then he wrote my name, they told me, in the Lamb's Book of Life at that moment. He wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And now they said, there's a new name. And even the quartet, I remember, they sung a song called, there's a new name you know, written down in glory. As if God didn't know you before then. And all of a sudden, you've done enough stuff to get his attention, and he decided to, you know, let you in. And so then when he decided to let you in, and you prayed the prayer right, and you was going to the right church, listening to the right preacher, and did everything just right, then God said he'd accept you based on what you did, and then he wrote your name in his book, and now you're in there. But don't mess up, because now he will, you know, wipe it back out. And by the way, there's none of that in the Bible. The Bible said everybody's name has been in the book since the foundation of, before the foundation of the world. So you don't do anything to get your name in. Your name's already in there. I hope that's good news revelation to you because that's the truth. <clears throat> so if you're born again, you got to be in the womb before you can get born. I told you I remember when I was five talking to God. I remember when I was 12 when I got saved. As, you know, somebody, well, when did you get saved? Well, I really got saved when Jesus did what he did. But, but, but if you want to know when I awakened to the revelation that he had saved me, I was 12 when that happened. And I remember being 11, and for about a year, I told God when I was going to get saved. Because I told you I went to, a, to the... Uh, our church was building a brand new, big, huge church. And for some reason, in my little 11-year-old head, uh, I had decided that I was going to be one of the newest people that gets saved in the new church. And I told God that I'll get saved when I get to the new church. I'm talking to God, and as an 11-year-old, nobody even taught me that I could talk to God, but I knew somebody was talking to me. I knew it was him. And I said, when, I get, when, we get, when we move in new church, then, uh, Father, I'll, I'll accept you. He was okay with that. He was okay with that. Uh, and I remember the night, it had already turned dark, we had spent most of that day transferring all the, the church furniture, I guess you'd say, stuff out of the Sunday school rooms, and even pews and stuff. We went and put the, new, the old pews in the new sanctuary, but we were going to use them in some Sunday school areas and stuff. And so the, the preacher was just working the stew out of, out of us. And as an 11-year-old, I was helping move furniture and chairs and doing all that. And I remember riding on the trailer that a guy was driving from the old church to the new building, brand new building. We was hauling the furniture. And I remember, you know, we, we had us 11-year-olds, kids our age, back in the back so that none of the stuff didn't fall off, you know. Uh, you know, no car seats back in those days, right? And so I remember that voice said to me again, okay, this Sunday is gonna be, you're going to be in the new church. You know, are you going to accept me or believe in me? Or, you know, 
I remember telling, and I said, I, I am. See, I decided. See how in charge I am? Even at 11, i got to be in control. And I accepted him officially. One of the first people to be born again, you know, as we said, in the new church and, 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 and got baptized in the new baptistry. Up to that point, they let us out, you know, to baptize. All the people that got baptized went to a river. I wasn't much for that. Can't see the gator when he's going to bite you, you know. You can't. But that's how they did it. Anybody ever been to river baptisms? No, a few of you have. Preacher walks out with the stick, you know, and as long as you don't see him go under, you know you're probably all right. And I remember as I've gotten older, you know, Father has just said, do you think that that was all you? In other words, that you just decided that you would believe in me. You don't think we had a relationship prior to that? And we know biblically, Bible, New Testament, that that is demonstrated, and I don't have time to talk about it, but all you have to do is read Cornelius, Acts 10, about this Gentile who is a Roman soldier. He's not a Christian, as you would call him. He's not uh, part of the elect. He's not the end, but yet he has a relationship with God that God acknowledges. And he talks with God, and God sends him supernatural visions and revelations and tells him what to do, and he's not even born again, as you would say, born again. Your relationship with God started before the foundation of the world because you were in Christ. So there's all kind of, and I, I won't read Romans 5. I, I love you know, going at the Scripture and proving to you uh, stuff, but I do want to read Romans 5. Uh, uh, the whole chapter is just amazing what, the way Paul is describing you know, what has transpired. And in verse 10... Um, well, let's just read, in verse 9, well, let's just read verse 8. I, I'm going to read the whole Bible here for us. Over. Verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you didn't have to do anything. God, God handled it. Much more than having now been justified, that means made right, by what? His blood, we shall be what? Saved from the wrath through him. For when you, we were enemies, while we were enemies, Paul said, we were reconciled to God. How were you reconciled to God? Through the death of his son. Now, while you were enemy, he said, you were reconciled to God. Much more having been, not having will be one day, but having been reconciled in the past, we shall be what? So, saved, so, so saved by his what? You're saved by his life. And, and then Paul, I love, he just keeps going. And not only that, <laughs> but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received that reconciliation. See, a lot of people, the whole world's been reconciled to God. They just don't know it. And this is where we come in to proclaim that good news to them. And I'm not saying that they don't have to have a response. And when I preach the, the, the truth like this, then the first thing that will happen by some people, now most people don't even read the Bible, so they don't even know what I'm talking about. And I don't mean that arrogantly. I just mean they don't even read the Bible. So they don't even know what it says. They, they don't have a clue. They go week to week, week to week. They, they never read the Bible for themselves. They don't study the Word of God. They, they don't have a clue what it says. All they've ever heard is people speak about the Bible. <clears throat> and... and, and but that, that salvation 
it says that we've received that reconciliation. And then, he's, and then he gives us how this thing works in verse 12. Therefore, justice through one man's sin entered the world. Now, who's that one man he's talking about? Adam. So Adam was the head of the human race. Okay? And so what happened when Adam, he plunged all of us into this, this sin, into his sin, right? Uh, I've asked you this question many times, and Romans 5 explains it clearly. You know, how many, you know you, you go, if I go into a new church somewhere and I say, how, you know, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? You know, you'll get an immediate response, one. And they'll say, if you commit one sin, then therefore you're a sinner. And that's not what the Bible says. You were born a sinner. And, and the reason you were born a sinner is got nothing to do with what you did or what you do. You were born a sinner because you were born from the headship of Adam. It says, because of Adam's sin, you were made born a sinner. So you sin because you're a sinner. And you're not a sinner because you sin. You were a sinner because you were born into that through Adam. That's what it says. Verse 12, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And it wasn't just that sin entered in. We got something that even nastier than sin came in with sin. It's like you open the door and, you know, and, and, and a filthy animal comes in, but he brought something with him. He got flies and fleas is coming on board too. All you saw was the was the animal, but you didn't see what he brought with him. So when sin entered the world, it, it brought death with it. God's not the inventor of death. God, God didn't cause death. God's not the, the creator of death. God's life. In him there is no death. But it says that through one man's sin, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to how many men? To all men. You can say, I don't believe in none of that. Well, let me tell you something, Hoss. You're going to die. And the Bible says you are, so that makes it true. And no, nobody's whipped that one yet. And that's going to happen to you whether you believe it or not. The Bible says this is how it got in. This is why people die. God never intended people to die. He didn't create Adam and Eve knowing that they would die. He told them not to eat of, the, of this lie, of this false truth, of this diabolical, satanic. He said, he didn't say in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day I shall kill thee. God's not the Godfather. He's Father God. God just said if you do this, it's going to bring death to you. Don't do it. In the day you do this, you will die. Not because I'm mad at you and going to kill you. It's because you are doing something. You're bringing about death. I told you before, you see, i got some lights up here that they've got in, up there, and you could, these lights are on me. Okay? They're shining directly down where, you know, you can see me. And the light is consistent and is constant. But if I turn from the light, you can't see it well now, but right now I'm looking at my shadow. The light didn't turn from me. I turned from the light. God's the light. And when I've turned from the light, then here, right here, that y'all can't see as well as I can see it, but I'm experiencing now darkness. But I created it. Darkness is not a thing. 
Darkness is the negation of a thing. Darkness is created when we turn from the light who is God. God is light. In God, there is no shadows. There is no darkness. There is no evil in God. But when you and I chose to turn away from Him and do our own thing, then we created darkness and we are living in that darkness. And we are alienated from the life of God. And all we have to do is, is turn back into full, now the full expression of that light's on my face. When the Bible talks about God calls your, your, your light to, your face to shine upon me, it's not God doing the turning, it's us. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, uh, God didn't say, when I'm mad at you, I ain't ever coming back. God showed up the same, just like He always did. So who's hiding in the garden? Not God, Adam and Eve. That's what, we've, that's what man has done from the beginning. We hide from God, we turn away from God, we accuse God, and then we, we, we uh, you know, uh, place on God through our vain imagination and we, we, you know, our, all our brokenness and darkness, and, and we, we think God's like that. So we, we hide from Him. He said this death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, he, he goes on and he says, let me see, I don't want to take up too much, but it says, uh, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, Offense, death reigned through the one. Here comes Paul with that much more again. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now it's there, but you just need to receive it. Therefore, verse 18, look at this, please don't miss it. As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's. Notice this capital M. One, who's that? Jesus. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to how many men? Resulting in justification of life. So all men have been justified and brought into life by what God did. When Adam sinned and plunged humanity, how many men ended up with the problem of, of death and darkness? Everybody on the earth. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But do you, can you believe that the last Adam, which is what Christ is called, the last Adam, by what he does, is not powerful enough to undo what the first Adam did? If you had to look at them two Adams, which one do you think is more powerful? Y'all waited way too long to answer that one. If I had a flag, I'd throw a flag on that play and, and penalize you five yards. I said, between them two atoms, which of those are the most powerful? So if the first Adam was able to plunge man by his disobedience and throws all men into sin and death, how much more, Paul is trying to say, that this last Adam, who through his just and righteous act, would plunge all men into justification, reconciliation, and life. People get nervous when they realize how great God is. 
For by one man's disobedience, verse 19, many were made sinners. Well, let me ask you this now. Let's just hang on right here just a second. For as by one man's disobedience, again, we're talking about Adam, right? By his disobedience, it says the, 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 the Greek translation into English is very poor here. It says many were made to sinners. Were many or all made sinners? And if you read it in the, in the actual Greek, it, it's, it's very clear. But they did a poor job of translating it. So you know from a fact and experience in life that when Adam did what he did through his disobedience, every human was plunged by his disobedience and they were all made born sinners. Is that true? I need more people to agree with me than that. You're not agreeing with me, agreeing with the Bible. Is that true? By one man, Adam's disobedience, every man on this planet was made a sinner. Okay, if you can accept that, Paul's saying, comma, so also by one capital man's obedience, all many will be made righteous. So in other words, if this verse reads like it does in the Greek, for by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, all will be made righteous. Can you accept the Bible? Can you accept that God's got a bigger plan than your church? You know, you, is, he's got a bigger plan than your religion. That's, that's what God said. Now, when were you saved then? And then right here, see, people go, well, you are, you, you, whoa, 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 bro, you are universalist. Well, first off, you probably don't know what that means. But if you'd like to talk about it sometime, I'd be glad to help you. But let me ask you this, everybody in here is a universalist in the sense that, how many believes that God loves everybody? I want to see your hand if you believe that God, Yahweh God loves every human on this planet. Do you believe that God loved everybody no matter what year it was? Do you believe that God loved people in 1940? How many believe that God loved people in 1940? Really? You know Hitler was alive in 1940. Adolf, do you believe God loved him? Do you believe God loves him? <laughs> I didn't ask you if you loved him. And I didn't ask you if you loved what he did. But I asked you, did God love him? So you're telling me that you believe God loves everybody universally without regard, without condition. You believe in the universal love of God for all mankind, and not only for all mankind, but for the cosmos, for the world. For God so loved the world. You believe that. You believe God loves everybody. And you believe what the Bible's definition of love is, that love keeps no record of wrong. So if you believe God loves everybody, and you believe that God is love, then you would also have to believe that God don't keep a record of any person's sin. And by the way, if you hadn't read the New Testament, I don't mean this arrogantly and trying to be a smart you know, person, smart butt really is what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> but 
I'm trying to say to you that if you've read the New Testament over and over and over, it says that God does not keep a record of the wrong. He does not impute men's trespasses against them. I'll read it for you in a second if you need me to. He, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't keep any record. Your sin ledger with God has a zero balance. Well, I just sinned. It ain't on there. Because him who knew no sin became sin, and he took away not only your sin, but the sin of the entire world. And it says that over and over in the Bible. So God don't keep a record. I don't care what your church told you or your preacher said. God's not going to play the video when you get to heaven. You got to answer for none of that. So if, if God, if, listen, so if God is the way we're, the Bible presents him, he's a God who loves everybody. Therefore, to be a God of love, he would have to have forgiven everybody. Because how can I say I love my wife, but I'm going to hold this that you've done against you? Or, or say, I'm not going to forgive you until you, you know, satisfy me to where I'm willing to forgive. Let me tell you something about forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation means, you know, to, to, to removing the, the debt of sin. It literally means to take sin away. He, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. So forgiveness in the Greek literally means that it is taken away. God has forgiven, taken away. Now see, this, this, is where the, this is where the why hits the road between a grace preaching church and a religious church. The, the kind I was raised in. They told us that God could forgive. That God had the capacity and the ability to forgive if I met the standard for forgiveness. The standard varies to what church you go to. With the Catholics, you have to say so many Hail Marys. To satisfy the priest, which in their point satisfies God. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. What kind of sin did you do? I did this, X, Y, Z. Uh, say 30 Hail Marys and, and you shall be forgiven. That's the Catholic Church. I'm not knocking the Catholic Church. I'm just saying they have a different way of doing it. You go to the Baptist. They say, you go to the Protestant, most churches, they say you have to confess your sins. And you have to confess them one by one. And if you miss one, you're not forgiven because you didn't confess it. And they say you have to repent of your sins. And by repent, they mean lay on the altar, drape over it, tell God what a sorry person you are, and tell him you're sorry for doing wrong. And maybe throw in some tears because that always helps. And if you, if you, if you, you, know, if you, if you mean it, if you're sincere, uh, then maybe God will forgive you. But you don't know if he forgave you or not. That's why you ask him again about the same sin. I used to, when I would sin against God, I would say, Father, please forgive me for doing that. I'm, I am so sorry. It breaks my heart that I'm that kind of guy and I don't want to be that guy. Please forgive me. And then I would not really necessarily feel super duper better right after that. And I may spend that whole day begging him to forgive me over that sin. Why would you ever ask God to forgive you twice of the same sin then? Because you don't even know when you're forgiven. You're waiting on a feeling. And so sometimes, depending on the severity of my judgment of my own sin, I may talk to God three or four days. I may feel like dung for five days in a row because I'm, I'm just grieved over my sin. And, and, and for five days, I will talk to God and say, please forgive me, Father. Please forgive me for that. I'm so sorry for doing that. I ask you to forgive me, Father. I just pray you forgive me. What a miserable way that I live my life. God, I don't want that to happen to you. Because nobody in my church world ever told me that I was already forgiven. 
And out of the whole entire Bible, and I don't have the time to go and unpack that today, but there's only one verse in the whole Bible that, that these Christians you know, will use as their proof verse, and that's out of 1 John chapter 1, where it says that if, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking to you. He's writing to people that don't even believe in the, that sin exists. And, and sin there is not a verb, something you do. Sin is a noun. Most of the time in the entire New Testament, sin is not a verb. It's not an action. It's a noun. It's a thing, an entity. Thing, person, noun's a person, place, or thing. I, only one time in the whole book of Romans is sin a verb. And if you don't understand what that means and why does that matter, it matters tremendously. When Jesus became sin, he didn't become a verb. He became a noun. You don't even know what sin is. You think sin because you stole a piece of candy or you lusted after somebody or you did this or you did that or you did this. That's not what sin is. You do those things because of the thing, sin. Sin's a lot bigger deal than what you think it is and it's such a big deal that Jesus came to deal with it personally. And he has dealt with it. And this is where the rubber meets the road and people want to part ways because they go, wait a minute, you've got to confess your sin. And so what that makes, if that's true, then that makes your salvation contingent not on God, but on you, your memory, and your ability. Do you know Romans chapter 10 tells you how to get saved, so to speak, and it uses the word confession, but the word sin doesn't appear in the whole chapter. Isn't that interesting? In Acts 16, when the, when the jailer asked Paul the apostle, what must I do to be saved, so so, Paul didn't say, by your head, close your eyes, repeat after me. He didn't say, say the sinner's prayer. In fact, the apostle Paul, the great apostle to this sinner, did not even mention the word sin to him. Because that ain't how you get saved. You get saved by waking to the, the, the truth of the scripture that Jesus has already reconciled you. He said, believe on the Lord, you'll be saved. See how simple that is? Boy, why don't we just do it like the Bible says? How about that for change? How about like just wiping the slate off with all the religion, and let's just try what God says? Well, you, you know, well, you know you, are you saying everybody's saved? I, I'm not saying there's not a, not a response to this good news. Yes, there's a response. But I'm telling you what happened that saved you happened with Jesus. And it happened on the cross. So I was saved in the, if you want to declare, the incarnation of Christ, God becoming a, 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 a person, a human, a, a man, flesh. I am being saved when I participate with the truth of that and it begins to actualize in my life as I believe it. And I will be saved when I get my immortal body. Oh, the older I get, more pains that accompany me. Anybody can say amen to that? I've told people this before. When, my grand, when I was a little boy, I remember my granddad told me one time, he said, growing old ain't for wimps, huh? I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. He said that. He was, he was uh, about my age. <laughs> I now know what he was speaking of. Um. You know, how were we reconciled to God? Well, it's by Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, it says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For listen to verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 23. For as in Adam, how many die? How many? 
And so even so in Christ, how many shall be made alive? Oh. In Christ, how many shall be made alive? What if that really happens? That's going to be pretty cool, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5.18. Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. I want to say this to you. Do you notice it says that God reconciled us to him? Reconciliation is not God reconciling himself to man. The reason God don't have to be reconciled to man because God never turned his back on man. God never abandoned man, and God never separated himself from man because of their sin. And that is a big lie, this separation lie that's been taught to many of us. And it's not in the Bible. It's played out right in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they sin? Did God separate from them? No. It says one place in the Old Testament, it says your sins have separated you from God. That's no different than me turning from the light. I did that. It's not God turning from you. It, God's always been with you. He's been with you all the time. He, he, was with you, he was with you before you were born. He's always been with you. He's always been in you. He's always been for you. And it says in verse 19, it says, who has, in verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ. He, reconcil he reconciled the world to himself. God didn't reconcile himself to the world, but God reconciled the world to him. Because the world is the one that turned from him. He didn't turn from the world. Are, are you with me? And so he's committed to us the same word. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God was pleading through us. And he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, listen to this now, be reconciled to God. Notice what it don't say. It don't say become reconciled. Because he just told you that you have been reconciled. And why is he saying be reconciled? Well, the same reason the Bible tells you to be, be ye holy. Can you achieve holiness? Can you become holiness on your own? No, he's telling you to be what you are. Who says you're holy? God does, so be it. It's not become reconciled, it's be reconciled because you have been reconciled. So be that. Be what you be. <laughs> Amen. Now, even though you've been reconciled, m most people don't know they've been reconciled. Do you know everybody in the world has been reconciled uh, to, to God by Jesus Christ? God did it. Do you understand that? Everybody you meet has been reconciled. This is where we get the opportunity to, to proclaim this good news to them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, I, I testify this to you in the Lord, that you should no longer walk in, as the rest of the Gentiles, the lost people, what he's talking about, in the futility of their what? Their mind. Having their understanding, what? Darkened. Being alienated from the life of God, because God was mad at them because they had sinned and it had ticked him off. Is that what it says? I'm sorry, I, that was a wrong translation. Then let me reread it. It says they, they have their understanding darkened. They're, they're being alienated from the life of God because of what? Because of the ignorance that's where? In them. When you're ignorant of something, it means you don't know about something. Because of the blindness of their own hearts, 
God says, this whole world, I have reconciled them to myself, but they are ignorant of it. They are living as aliens. They are alienated themselves because of their darkness. They have turned from me, the light, and they are living in darkness and deception, and and they're alienated, and it's all in their minds. God, this is good. Colossians 1.19 says the same thing for... In verse Colossians 1, 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. Verse 20, And by Him to reconcile how many things? All things to Himself. How many of you are a thing in here? How many things do I have? Are you a thing? I mean, you're a thing. Come on, you're something. You're a human. Don't call me a thing. I ain't no thing. You are a thing. Everybody in here is a thing. So he said all things have been reconciled to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross, and you, listen, who were once alienated, same word, you were once alienated. How were you alienated? I just read it, by your own mind and your own ignorance and your own darkness, not God. But you were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now, in spite of your, our dumbness and our darkness and our deception, he said, you, you, you've been reconciled in the body of his flesh. How? Through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, let me ask you this. This is kind of where my invitation to people comes today. What if God as good as I have just described him to you. What, what, what if God really has done what I have said, what the Bible has says? He has forgiven every person. He has reconciled you to himself through his son. He loves you presently and has always loved you and always will. And he loves you not because of anything you have done and you can't do anything to make God love you more or less. Could you not trust your life to him? Forgiveness from God is not a transaction. It is completely writing it off the books and throwing it away. It's like you have this debt, and he says, it's forgiven. We'll never speak of it again. Forgiveness cannot involve punishment. People talk about Jesus went to the cross, he took our punishment. He took man's punishment. God was not punishing Jesus on the cross. God is not some sadistic, mythological Zeus God that needed bloodletting in order to forgive. If God forgave because there was a payment, then it wasn't forgiveness. It was a payment. And that's not grace. Forgiveness is actually a pardon from the punishment. Now, I know all you like me, we were raised that said, you know, uh, somebody had to pay. And so Jesus took our punishment. So God had to whoop on somebody. So he decided to whoop on his son because his son volunteered for the whooping. Come on now, you know that's how we was raised. That's not, that's not in the Bible at all. I can show you verse after verse where Jesus is for God. Jesus, you understand Jesus was God in the flesh, right? So I can show you where Jesus, God, was forgiving people without any blood being shed yet. 
Was they really forgiven or was he lying? Remember the woman that was an adulterous woman, a, a very a sexually promiscuous woman. This woman happened to match that. She was that. And, 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 and it says that in the scripture. And remember Jesus was sitting around with the guys and she comes in there and she starts crying and weeping over his feet and taking her long hair and drying his feet. And Jesus looks at this woman and he ain't been to the cross yet and ain't been no nails and he shed no blood. And he says, woman, your sins are forgiven you. It's in the book. Your sins are forgiven. Well, that puts a whole new light because now we got him forgiving people. And, you know, and I've had people ask me, why couldn't God just forgive? Why couldn't God just forgive? Why did Jesus have to die, man? I don't understand all this. Help me. I'm finna help you. I'm going to tell you why Jesus had to die, and it's not why you think. You, you would think by now we would know what the cross, we don't even understand it. Jesus is forgiving people over and over, and he ain't been to the cross. And it wasn't fake forgiveness. Remember the man they tore the roof off? He's paralyzed. Remember them four dudes lowered him in? Interrupt Jesus' sermon? And they brought, them brothers brought that paralyzed man to Jesus for one reason, to get him healed. They're not focusing on his sin problem, they're focusing on his leg problem. And so they, they lower him down, and Jesus, this man, this man led on the stretcher, you've heard him, this man don't say boo. He don't open his mouth. He don't say nothing. He don't ask for nothing. He don't ask for forgiveness. So Jesus looks at this man and says, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. A double personal annunciation. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And just so you're clear, you. And when the church heard it, all those assembled Pharisees, they, they, were, they were incensed. They were, they were angry. They said, who can forgive sins but God only? Who's this man think he is? Jesus perceived their thoughts. He said, man, come on. What, what, what do you think? Is it easier for me to say to the paralyzed, take up your bed and walk, or to say, uh, your sins are forgiven thee? But so you, will, you knuckleheads will know that I got power right now on earth before I even go to the cross to forgive men's sins, I'll say to him, take up thy bed and walk. Because you think that's harder. You think it's harder for, for, to raise a paralyzed man than it is to forgive your sins. But Jesus said, I'm telling you, what's the hard deal is forgiving you of your sins. Because the reason the man is laying there paralyzed is because of sin. And sin brought the paralyzation of the man. Sin comes in and it brings death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of sin is God says, I'll kill you. It ain't the wages of sin. You do sin, God says, I'll kill you. It's the wages of sin brings about death. Meth addict comes to see me in my office. He's had years of addiction. He has abused himself. He has abused his family. He has lost his finances. He has stolen from people to buy the meth. He has hurt himself, and he has hurt people that love and care for him, and he has hurt others due to his addiction. He meets with me. Pastor, do you think God could ever forgive me of all my sin? Now what I've just said is a parable of mine.
to help you understand a truth. But that scenario has happened to me all my ministry life. Pastor Dale, you think God could ever forgive me? What I've done here to my wife or my family or my kids? Or you think God could ever forgive me, Pastor Dale? And now I'm so blessed to look at them in the eye and say, Sir, ma'am, he already has. He has already removed your sin as far away as the east is from the west. He's thrown it away into a sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered against you anymore. You have been reconciled to God. He did it. You couldn't while you were weak. He reconciled you. While you were a sinner, He reconciled you. When you was without hope, alienated from the life of God, He reconciled you to Himself through His Son. You are forgiven. Totally forgiven. What am I to do after I tell him that? If he believes that and says, I believe that, what am I to say to the meth addict? Well, go have a nice life. No. Am I to send him out into the world like that? No, because there's something more than the forgiveness of sin that this man needs. He needs deliverance from that ramifications of that addiction. He needs to be with Pastor Keith for a while, maybe. The house of grace. And to be trained and loved on and be walked out into the life and the liberty and the freedom. When the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission, the word remission of sins there is a different word than forgiveness of sins. It is similar, but it is different. The word there that's translated there, remission, is the Greek word for deliverance. So what it's saying is without the shedding of blood there's no deliverance of sin. A person needs to know how to be delivered. Now, it's, it's more than just forgiven. Jesus didn't come to just say, well, I just want to wipe the slate clean, you know, have a nice life. Jesus said, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to not only wipe the slate clean, but I'm going to deliver you from the power of that death. Sin kills. God don't kill. Sin kills. Sin's what kills. So people ask me, say, well, Brother Dale, if God can forgive, like it says clearly in the Scripture, He forgave that man, Lord, through the... He said, you're forgiven, and, and He forgave that woman, and He forgave many others. And He hadn't even been to the cross yet. And He hadn't shed no blood. And yet, uh, there He is forgiving people. So why, if, that, if that's true, and that's the case, and it is true, it's in the book, then if that's true, then why did Jesus have to die? I don't understand, Pastor. Help me. First off, where did death come from? I already told you. Sin entered the world, death through sin. God didn't, God's not the author of death. When, when I turn from the light, it creates darkness. Darkness will eventually lead to death. I don't make good decisions in the dark. I don't see good in the dark. I don't walk good in the dark. I, I, don't, I don't relate good in darkness. I need light to see things as they are, not as I perceive them to be. I remember as a little boy, I'd see things in my room, a coat rack or something. I thought that was a demon. Oh, I'm so scared to cut the light on. <laughs> I did the coat rack, man. I was imagining that. I thought that looked like a devil. I remember just being stupid as a kid. Just, I remember I wouldn't even want to lay in the bed with my feet all the way to the end because I thought, you know, I'd stay balled up in the fetal position until I go to sleep because I was afraid somebody, something going to reach out my bed and grab my feet. Because I've seen too many movies where somebody reach up and grab you and drag you off and drag you up under the bed. 
And there I am, you know, nine, ten years old, and I go to bed, and that first thing hits mine. And I couldn't even stretch all the way out and enjoy it. I was only a little twin bed anyway. I just ball up tight like that and hope I go to sleep. And then when I wake up, you know, I don't know nothing about that. My feet's down there where the, where the booger man. My grandma used to raise us. She said, y'all better straighten up. Booger man and get you. I'm telling you, that's some bad raising right there. That's how she tried to straighten us grandkids out. She said, the booger man going to get you. Booger man. Anybody ever raised like that? The booger man. Oh, oh, wait a bunch of. Welcome to the South. See, Ron, you didn't raise your hand. They don't do that in New Jersey. <laughs> in New Jersey, the parents just say, I'll get you. <laughs> now here they got to use the booger man to threat you, threaten you. That's how I was raised. Booger man's going to get you. Well, when you tell a kid, you know, booger man's after him, booger man's going to get him, when you lay in bed, first thing you think about is the booger man. That's torment. Fear hath torment. But I noticed I never was afraid in light. I could take a nap in the daytime with the, if the light's out and the sun's out, put my feet all the way down to the bed. But I ain't worried about it because the booger man got to have dark to work. He can't work in the daylight. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, verse 43 says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive that remission, that deliverance of the effects of sin. And so... Where does death come from? It, 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 it's like this. Think about, and I don't have time to go through all of it. You've heard me talk about it before. It says when God, cre you know, God created the fish, everything that swims. And when God got ready to create that, he spoke to the water. And when God spoke to the water, the fish and everything that swims. And he went through all stuff. I won't take the time. But we'll just use that one example. So when, when God got ready to, to create things that swim and, and, and live in the water, he spoke to the water. And as long as that fish stays in the water, you know what he has? Life. But let's say the fish just says, I don't like this. I'm flopping out. And he, and, he, and he comes out and gets on the bank. And we've all seen a fish out of the water on the bank, and they're doing all that. And he don't instantly die. A fish don't just go, you know, pull them out of the water and they go, mm, dead. Man, they live a long time. I've caught fish at the river, bring them to the house, and they're still finning me, trying to clean them. You know what I'm saying? They're still there, alive and, and still fighting and carrying on. And they've been out in the water for hours, especially catfish. You, you, you know, and I'm like, I want them to be dead. I want to get that fin in me. But they didn't die instantly. And then the thing I've always noticed is even though they're out of the water, and that's where they have life and they can breathe and all that and process oxygen, but when you get them out, that's not their environment. And they're, just, and they're trying as hard as they can. And every minute that goes by, they're dying. And what they need is to be delivered from death. And how do they get delivered? Put them back where there's life. So man who separates himself, not God does it, but when man separates from God, you're like that fish. So because it goes on to say, when God got ready to create man, he spoke to himself. He said, let us make man in our relationship, in our image, in our likeness. So where do you have life? in God, and in His light, in His love, and in His revelation. When you turn your back upon that, you create darkness, not God. God's not paying you back. You're doing that to yourself. The wages of sin is death. You're creating the death. You're the fish that says, I know more than the Creator, and I'll just live where I bloody well please, and breathe what I want to breathe, smoke what I want to smoke, drink what I want to drink, do what I want to do, live like I want to live, and to hell with God, because I'm my own God. 
and that's rebellion. God's not mad at you. God loves you. All God's trying to do is get you back home to Him. But you choose that. And so you live your life. You're trying to process life. And it, and it, it really stinks, man. Because every day you're dying. Jesus didn't, see, salvation, Jesus didn't come to save us from some coming death. He came to save us from the present death that we're in. People talking about go to hell. I'm living in hell, man. What you talking about? I'm in hell now. Jesus, Jesus came to deliver you out of that. Jesus said that it's not that the world will be condemned. The world's already condemned because they don't believe in me. The condemnation is already here. The hell is already here. The pain and darkness is already here. The addiction is already here. And I came to, I came to lead you out of that. I came to walk you out of that. Well, why did Jesus have to die? If he could forgive without dying, then why did he have to die? Because of this. The, the Bible says that, that, that death, this is what Hebrews 2 tells us, that, that Jesus came to defeat death. It says in, in, in Hebrews 2 verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power over death. That is the devil. And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to that bondage. Over and over, Isaiah 25 prophesied about Jesus in verse 8. He said he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will God will wipe all tears from all their faces. Jesus had to, the reason Jesus got on that cross is he, he, he had to go after death. See, the, the cross was a doorway into the house of Hades. And the word translated hell, a lot of times in your King James Bible, or New King James, or whatever it is, is, is the word for Hades. Death, the grave. And, and that thing has had a, such a powerful hold on, on humans. It's terrified of death. Uh, so the cross became a doorway for Jesus to slip into and enter into death. The, 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 it's, it's the death of death through his death. And, and by what Jesus conquered death and defeated death, death is no longer a destination, but death has become a door into God's presence now. It's like that movie, I think it's Men in Black, but it's like that movie where that cockroach eats Tommy Lee Jones. That's a bad illustration. If you don't know the movie, don't worry about it. What? Ain't that uh, Men in Black? Huh? And so y'all remember when that giant cockroach eats Tommy Lee Jones? Like, Ooh, he dead. Whoa, there you go. There he dead. No, he, he, he blowed that roach up from the inside. Because you can't kill God. So God entered into death like those say, ooh, you know, death like, ooh, I got him. I, I killed him. Jesus is gone. God's dead. And, 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 and then that cockroach blowed up. That thing called death blowed all to pieces because you can't kill God. It's like, it's like, God, snuck, it's like God snuck God in. It's like death gobbling everything. And then all of a sudden death gobbles something. He's like, man, it tastes different. And he said, and then he goes, you just ate God. He said, well, I got him. No, you didn't. <laughs> he come out the grave. And but through his death, God defeated death. 
See, the early church never said that we know Jesus is alive because of an empty tomb. That's all the church here now talks about. We know he's alive called the tomb. I don't mean nothing. People, they, the Romans, everybody accused that they just stole his body. That means nothing to most of the world. But the tomb is empty. It says in your Bible that they was going to say the tomb was empty and that they stole his body. It means nothing. Anybody can steal a body. I don't mean that he's alive because the body gone. See, y'all looking at me. The early church said, we know he's alive. They said, how do you know? Empty tomb said, ain't got nothing to do with it. We know he's alive because his children no longer fear death. They stand there in the first century as martyrs. Even their children face death like champions. And they no longer fear death. And they stared death down and said, death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. The sting of death has been, the, the stinger has been removed. The, uh, death now has become just a doorway, a changing room. I'm taking this coat off, put on my immortal coat. I'm stepping home into Papa. The, the death, death ain't, they don't have the threat no more. And there's something, there's something wrong when, when we, as, especially as believers, that we fear death. Because Jesus defeated death. He conquered death. And, and, and he entered into that place, Hades, Sheol, death. And, 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 he, and not only did he defeat death by being the first fruit of the resurrection, but he led the captives in his train when he left. And I want to say this because I think y'all big enough to take it. And if you read 1 Peter, see, God's mercy is not up till you die. His mercy is everlasting. His kindness endures for up to your funeral. Forever. Right? It don't stop there. Death don't whip God. Death did not defeat God. God defeated death. And he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave. And he destroyed the power of death to hold us in fear and captivity any longer. That's why he went to the cross. He climbed on that cross because that was his pathway into Hades. And when he got in there, he destroyed death. Death thought it had him, but death was wrong. He destroyed death, broke the power and the bondage and the fear of death. For we'd all been held captive to that. And then to demonstrate his love for those that had been held in that, he let them all out. Now, some of y'all, you know, you, 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 you think about like what, you know, in Sheol, I'm talking about, before, you know, that we got all these, you know, all these believers down there. They're being held in, in Sheol. See, we don't even understand the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. We think that's got the, hell is not, we don't even understand that. What, what that story is, is there is a chasm that nobody has ever crossed. You can't come from over there and I can't go to where you are. But the whole parable, the punchline of the parable is that God, through Jesus Christ, is going to go where no man has gone before. Where a man cannot go. And he's going to cross a chasm that no man has ever crossed. And he's going to cross that chasm. He's going to grab death and destroy and defeat it and come back across that chasm, close that chasm, bring out those that were held in bondage. Now, now first Peter... Peter explained it and said the ones he brought out, they were held in there. These were the ones that died in the flood. They died in the flood. Somebody thinks, well, that's the believers, you know, that's where they were hanging out until Jesus got there to set them free. You, you didn't read that in the Bible. Carmen sung that to y'all. 
Y'all remember that song, Jason? What did you do? They'd be like, man, I'd say, I heard that brother call my name and all that. And it was like Moses and Elijah and all them how we'll hold out down there. I mean, I love Carmen. He's in heaven. He knows better. He had it wrong theologically. Because I see, listen, if those Old Testament believers who believed forward, if they were held in Sheol, that place, then why we see Moses hanging out with Jesus, talking with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration? Best I can say, they, and not only was it Moses hanging out with them, Elijah's hanging with Elijah and Moses is with the Lord. Is that just special people? And, 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 and then we see uh, 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 King Saul getting all messed up with the witch, and we see Samuel appear. And Samuel's with the Lord. So those that believed, they're not holed up in some place down there being held captive. They're with the Lord. Moses is with the Lord. Elijah's with the Lord. Uh, Samuel's, the prophet's with the Lord. Enoch is with the Lord. We see all these people with the Lord. Well, who the people down there being held in Sheol? First Peter explained it. He said those are the ones that died in their rebellion in the flood. And it says that Jesus went into there and he proclaimed, he evangelized those people. I wonder what the response to the gospel would be if you had no darkness in you and you had no delusion anymore of sin and you could make a clear decision that this is my Savior. I wonder would you go with him? So all those people that mocked and didn't believe, and some people see the flood deals like God on a geocidal maniac. Kill everybody. No, God's trying to save the world, man. It says that God got through with everything and He said the world is good. Very good. That means in the Hebrew there, it's inhabitable. It's a good place for man to live. And it uses the same exact Hebrew word when it says God looked upon the world and the world was filled with not adultery or fornication or perversion. The world was filled with violence. Men had become extremely violent. And he said it was not good. And the Hebrew there is not inhabitable. And God said, I must rescue it. I must give it a bath. I must rescue my children. They could have been a fleet of arks and would have been if they believed. They had 120 years to build. They could have built a fleet. But they only needed one because only eight souls believed. But God loved every one of them that didn't believe. And when they died, they went to this place. We don't understand all there's a lot of mystery with it, but they went to this shield place. And it, and it says that in your New Testament. And when Jesus died and defeated death, they were held captive by that death. And they didn't believe in God, and they died in their rebellion. But Jesus said, that's my kids. I'm not leaving them like that, even though they're dead. You preached a funeral, you pronounced them in hell like that guy did Lisa Marie. But they're full of religion and full of bull. And I will seek for my lost sheep until I find them. And death will not be my barrier and it will not be my electric fence and it will not be my border and it will not stop my love. For God, and in Romans, Paul in Romans 8 says, nothing will separate me, uh, us from the love of God. Nothing on earth, in the earth, or it says under the earth. And over and over in the Bible, it says on earth, those above earth, and those below earth. It says it over and over. Why ain't he talking about below earth? Well, I'll let you figure that one out. But I know Jesus marched his way right in there, defeated death, 
He evangelized those that died in the flood. And all, you think it was just them held there? And then he said, he led them out. He said, let's go to Papa. And then his train was filled with all them people. And they're like, <laughs> they told him, man, I know he would come for us. And, and he, brought, he led them all out. He didn't go preach to Moses and, and, the, and the believing folk. They were already with the Lord. He preached to the worst of the worst, the violent, the despicable. He said, y'all come go with me. Tell you the truth. Let me show you, Papa. I believe he emptied that place. <laughs> I don't believe they was one person. I, I ain't going. I'm going to stay here. I don't believe they was one. What if he saved them all? What if it's like the verses I started with? That he saves the world. If he saves it, it'll be on him. It'll be him. It's his desire. It's not willing that any should perish. If he don't want any to perish, I think he's going to work hard to see that they don't. There's a possibility, as I read the book, you can perish if you just want that. Why would you want it? Why? I know everybody told you that once you did, you did. Once you did, that didn't stop God then. And I guess it's just warped my mind. This is how Dale works with my brain. I thought, well, I know Papa, if he, if he didn't let death stop him here, and he went and he speak to those that were held by death, what would make him only do it for a select few? Don't he love people today as much as he did back then? And is death a barrier to him today? Or did he conquer death or did death conquer him? Did he defeat death or did, 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 did death become his out-of-bounds line, his stop sign like the church told me it was? That, that, that ain't in the book. And, and, and see, and that, mad, that makes people mad. And people will make decisions. They'll be mad at me because I even dumb enough to say that. But I'm 62 years old and I don't care. Am I 62? I can't even remember how old I am. But I feel 42. And I love that woman like I'm 22. You hear what I'm talking about? <laughs> Listen, death don't stop God. God's bigger, greater, grand. More wonderful, more powerful, more gracious than we ever, ever imagined. And the more I begin to see Papa and his love for, for his children. And by the way, Acts 19, Paul told us on Mars Hill to all those heathens, he said, all of y'all and all of us are the children of God. We're all God's children. When you put your faith and belief in the goodness of that light, then that gives you the right to walk as children and enjoy your inheritance and stand in the light and walk in that fullness of, of the love of God that flows to us through grace in Papa Jesus. Do you see that? Stand to your feet. Ain't you glad you picked this Sunday to come? Come on, somebody. <laughs> You know what I've preached today? I've never gone to that depth with you before. 
but I sure have been wanting to. And I couldn't stand it no more. God is so good. His plan is so wonderful. He loves His children. He loves His world. I wish I knew what I know now when I was 20 preaching. Whew. I don't know where they would have let me preach that, though, back when I was 20. As long as I did hell over a rotten stick, you know, over flames, they let me preach there good. But I was so ignorant of God's plan, God's goodness. And I want you to have hope. And if I have to say anything to you, I just say to you, and I mean this sincerely, just pardon my hope then. Pardon my hope. Because I have more hope in the goodness of God. What about that verse in Romans that it's the goodness of God that leads men to what? To repent. I was always told that if you repent, then God will be good to you. In other words, He'll turn to you after you repent. But the Bible says it's the goodness or the grace of God that actually generates repentance. And repentance means to change your mind about God. So it's God's foreknowledge and God's forelove that God says, I forgive you, I reconcile you, I redeem you, I save you, I love you, you are forgiven, you are alienated, you're just ignorant of it, nobody's told you how good I am. They've not really preached the good news to you, they've preached religion. But when you hear the good news of the gospel of how much I've done and how much I love you, and, 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 all I, and, and I've paid that, I, I mean, there's, there, there's nothing for you to do except believe it. When you do that, then you'll repent. You'll change your mind. Because if a God is like that, then who would not trust there and submit to Him? Who wouldn't do it? He's a good Papa. And He's worth submitting to. Amen. So if you want prayer for any reason after I dismiss you, uh, you just come up here and I'll be glad to pray with you. Amen. What's that? The time clock ticking off? Papa, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you defeated death, hell, and the grave. Father, we ask that awakening that Paul experienced to come into every person. Christ in them, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.